Well, good afternoon, friends. Good afternoon. It is uh, good to be with you all, many of you, with you again. Uh, it's wonderful to see the growth of the Lord's work, and we continue to pray for you guys very frequently, both in public uh, and privately. So greetings from Capitol Hill. And uh, let's open our Bibles to the well-known letter of 1 Corinthians. Um, it's uh, as James and I were thinking and talking about uh, this service, and I was praying about it, I thought that this message particularly would be good for you as a church. Uh, you are uh, now formally getting underway uh, as a congregation. Uh, you've been underway for over a year. But just to think together about the church, I'm not sure there's any place better to go in the New Testament than the book of 1 Corinthians. For one thing, you're probably fairly familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians. So y- there are parts of it you probably know without even opening your Bibles. So does anybody know any part of 1 Corinthians? You're very familiar with it. Just put up your hand and volunteer yourself. Not to recite it, but just to, if you're fairly familiar with part of 1 Corinthians, raise your hand. Okay, Ethan, like what, what part are you thinking of? 13, the love chapter, of course. Somebody else? Any other part? PJ, you're a pastor. No. Anybody else who's a, a member of this congregation? Somebody else? Ethan's the only one who's read 1 Corinthians. Really. John? Okay, immorality in chapters 5 and 6. Anything else? I'm thinking of at least one other chapter that… Okay, Jeremy? Okay, right there in the beginning in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, Paul is clear about the folly of, of the Christian gospel. Uh, there's one other chapter I thought somebody would have said. Yes, Jacob. Well, okay, again there in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 is all about the divisions in the church. Yeah, Jean-Marie? 13, the love chapter. Somebody else. Somebody should say chapter 15. John, chapter 15, of course, yes, the, the resurrection of the body. Yeah, I, I think sometimes people look at 1 Corinthians and they know it just in these parts. They don't know it together as a whole. They, they think of it as just like Paul must have had a checklist of a bunch of things he wanted to talk to the Corinthian church about, and commentators will even sound like this sometimes, now about, now about these sections of 1 Corinthians. But, and, and that's accurate, kind of, but I do think there's a more underlying unity in this letter. Uh, I first came across this when I was trying to discipline myself to preach through all the letters of Paul one sermon at a time years ago. And uh, in looking at 1 Corinthians, I remember being surprised by how united the theme was. And the way it became clear to me, if you'll just look over at chapter 9, if you like open your Bibles, look around at 1 Corinthians, it's good to have a physical copy sometimes. You look in chapter 9, that's where Paul was willing to lay aside his own rights for the good of others. And when, when it struck me that, well, you know, that's just what he's been talking about doing in chapter 8, the chapter before that, about food sacrifice to idols, and he's going to return to that in chapter 10. So there are three of the lesser celebrity chapters in 1 Corinthians actually having this same theme. And then as I thought about it, Paul's own decision in chapter 9 about laying aside certain of his rights as an apostle was simply one application of that larger principle that you're seeing there in 8 and now 9 and 10. And then really this example would be true of the service of the apostles to the Corinthians and to others, which is what 
Paul is talking about in the first four chapters, really, uh, of 1 Corinthians, where he talks about the different apostles that had served them. He recounts his selfless desires, the way that he was offering himself up for the edification of the whole, rather than simply pursuing his own selfish ambitions, I want a party of Paul. No, he wanted to see the whole church built up. He didn't want a party of James or a party of Jeremy. He wanted, a, he wanted for Christ's name to be exalted. And so he was going to act in that way. And that's really what he's talking about in those first four chapters, not pursuing his own selfish ambitions and balkanizing the church, dividing it up for his own ends. And some people, it looks like, in the Corinthian church had been doing. And then throughout the letter, you really, you continue to see examples of acting for the good of others. So the passage, John, you mentioned in chapters 5 and 6, well, that's a, a well-known passage on church discipline. And really, we act in church discipline for the good of others. It's not that anybody likes church discipline, but we go through the pain and the inconvenience, the, the interpersonal conflict, because we want to serve that person, and we want to serve the church as a whole. And really, in chapter 6, this willingness to be wronged that Paul talks about, and the morality that's part of that in chapter 6 and 7. And really, I think chapter 15, just to run ahead to the end of the book, on the resurrection of the body, I think one of the ways, one of the reasons Paul is defending the resurrection of the body is to show it's important what you do in the body. So one of the reasons it comes up is not simply an abstract thing about the resurrection unconnected to everything else, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that part of the false teaching that Paul would have been fighting against in the Corinthian church was it doesn't really matter what you do in the body anyway. The body's going to die and rot and go away, and it won't matter. And therefore, what you do in the body doesn't matter. But no, Paul gives that defense very clearly in chapter 15 of the resurrection of the body in order to show that the kind of morality he's talking about in chapters 5 and 6 and 7 has eternal significance. This kind of consideration of others before yourself is what Paul exhorts them to in the conduct of their times together, like we're having this time right now. If you look in chapters 11 and 14, uh, Paul talks about the use of the gifts in the body in chapters 12 and 14, and he shows his concern for God's people elsewhere in chapter 16. And the core of it all is really in the, the chapter we mentioned at the beginning, chapter 13, love. So all of these are examples of love. P Paul is saying that his own ministry toward the Corinthians should be understood as one large example of love. And what he is exhorting them to is love. So I want to look at two simple points today uh, to understand 1 Corinthians. Uh, these are not complicated at all, and I think they're pretty obvious. Uh, one, what we're to be like, and two, why we're to be this way. What we're to be like, and why we're to be this way. First, what we're to be like, well, it's already been clear in some of the things we've looked at, we are to be holy. We are to be holy. You look in the very first chapter, the way Paul begins. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. This is a theme he echoes again and again if you skip down to verse 8 there in chapter 1. He says, He, that's Jesus Christ, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless 
on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be holy. What does holy mean? Well, part of it means being strange to the world, separate from the world. So our message, our wisdom, is different than the world's wisdom. Uh, our message is not what most people in Montgomery County would think. Uh, I think the recent Pew survey of American religious life showed Montgomery County as the most religiously diverse county in the nation. Uh, th this is not a place where you can assume that everybody knows what we mean when we talk about Christianity. And part of what that means is we need to be willing to be ethically and morally estranged from the people around us, from this fallen world, if we're to have any hope at all. You look a little bit later in chapter 1, down in verse 21. Paul said, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So we Christians appear foolish to the world, different than the world. As Paul says over in chapter 2, the natural man does not accept God's truth. But more than just being strange to the world, we're strange to the world because we are special to God. Uh, he says in chapter 3, you are God's temple. God's temple is sacred. Well, there's much more we could see in 1 Corinthians about this theme of holiness. I leave it to you, but just I hope you realize that, James, as you pastor this church, this is one of the reasons that membership is so important. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for Baptist churches who practice membership just because it's what Baptist churches do. That's a poor reason to practice membership. They should just stop until they see it's in the Bible. The Bible has expectations of what we will be for each other. And we summarize that in membership. And you, my brother, must be the chief one to understand this and teach this to the congregation. So congregation, you need to be able to have teaching that explains to you why you should think and live differently than those around you. That will be the only way you'll understand something like chapter 5 about church discipline. It won't make any sense at all if you don't understand that fundamentally you're not supposed to be seen simply as the nicest person on the block, but you're supposed to be seen as someone who is reflecting the character of God, uh, that you are holy. Of course, one of the main reasons that Paul is telling the Corinthians and the particular challenge they're facing to their holiness in chapter 5 to get rid, that's the word he uses there in chapter 5 about the man in sin, get rid of those committed to their sins more than they're committed to Christ is because of a second thing that the church was to be, and that's united. Uh, the church is to be united. So the church is to be loving. The church is also to be united. Um, that's especially important in a day and age when society is so fractured. Uh, that's something that's really an opportunity. When we see challenges like we do right now in our culture, uh, we should look at this call in 1 Corinthians to be united, to be holy and united, and see that in this challenge we have an opportunity. Uh, we should pray God help us to meet it. So we as churches, we don't want to divide for carnal reasons. So uh, right now in our own church, we're under a mask mandate uh, from our mayor. And so most of us donned our masks today when we came to church. Now, we're going to have various thoughts in our own heads about whether this is theater or whether this is medically helpful, uh, whether this is a wise or an imprudent measure, 
whether this is sincerely offered or whether the mayor's attendance at her own party the night before with no mask suggests otherwise. This is, this, is, this is above our pay grade. This is the Lord can judge hearts. This is not for us. But what we know we should do as a church is, as far as we can, obey the law, unless we're being instructed to sin. And I've not found any place yet in Scripture that says donning a mask is sin. So if we're instructed to do something, whether we think it's wise or foolish, it's ours to obey unless we have a moral reason why we feel we must not. So friends, as a church, those are the kind of things that absolutely tear apart worldly structures, socially, even families. But it shouldn't be that way here. New Covenant Baptist Church should have more confidence in who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what the good news of what it means to be forgiven of our sins because of Him than we have in our own personal political thoughts or medical conclusions. Our confidence should be in the Lord. And so as a as a congregation, I pray that you will be united, that you will be marked by unity. And James, I pray for your ability to lead the whole church along with your, the fellow elders the Lord may give you uh, in order to do that. Because that's one of the things that very clearly from what Paul says here to the Corinthians is to mark a local church. So holy, united. And then a third thing I think we see very clearly, which answers how can we be united well, we're united in love. And this is the third characteristic that comes out very clearly from 1 Corinthians. We are to be loving. Again, this is well known. It's uh, supremely there in chapter 13, but it's really there throughout the letter. Uh, in chapters 12 and 14, the ones around chapter 13, the whole way they're to decide what to do in their church services is really based on love. It's based on what will build people up. So in chapter 14, for example, in uh, verses 3 to 5, Paul says uh, he, he judges something worth uh, doing by whether it edifies others, because the church, the goal of the church is to build the church as a whole up. He says in 14, uh, verse 12, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Or in verse 17, Paul clearly caring about edifying others. Or in 19, again, edifying others. Or verse 26, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. So when we act as a member of a church, our actions are particularly to be loving to each other. We are striving to do what we think will build others up. That's why Paul says at the very end of the letter in chapter 16, verse 14, do everything in love. Do you want a short Scripture verse to start off your Scripture memory plan with? 1 Corinthians 16, 14, it's only four words. Do everything in love. It's the whole verse. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. Well, I think you want to ask, is your church, is New Covenant marked by this kind of love? Uh, are you praying for this kind of love to be typical of you? That's what we hope and pray will be the case. Now, a question, that, the second question that I have to press might not be as obvious. Those that I just said I think are pretty obvious in this book, that we're called to be holy, uh, that we're called to be united, and that we're called to be loving. All of that's pretty straightforwardly in 1 Corinthians. That's, if you will, the burden of the book. 
If you ask the question, why? Why are we to be that way? What's the reason for these characteristics? Well, very simply put, I think the character of the church is to reflect the character of God. So, friends, we're about something far more important than we may have realized. We are to be holy and united and loving, basically, because God is like all these things. As Paul says in chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. God, you see, is to be reflected in New Covenant Baptist Church. Hopefully, you're not the only reflection of God in Montgomery County. Hopefully, there are many sister churches that are also reflecting the character of God, but it's what you also now are being called to do. We're not holy simply because we have been or could be, but we are holy because God has made us to be holy in Jesus, reflecting His own character. We are strange to this world only because the world in its rebellion has become strange to God. And if we are going to be His, we'll have to be like Him. He transforms us by His Spirit. We read back in chapter 1, verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So we Christians are led by God. We are led by God's wisdom. So Christ has become our holiness. He has made us holy because we belong to God, and He has specially treated us as His by living among us, which we see especially in the church. In chapter 6, Paul writes in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So, friends, both individually and as a church, we are called to show God's holiness to the world. It's God's holiness that we're showing. Our holiness is always in this life going to be partial and imperfect, but it will be a testimony of a true, complete, and perfect holiness, the purity of God, the moral goodness and excellency of God Himself shining out, we pray, in New Covenant Baptist Church in her members and her leaders. But we're also to be united because God Himself is one. Sometimes we lose our unity out of a wrong loyalty to different servants in the church. This is a problem again and again in churches. A lot of loyalty to the individual human person who's in front of us, Mark the preacher or James the preacher, but if Mark and James should be preachers, what they want is not your loyalty to them. They want your loyalty to Christ. We're useful only insofar as we help to encourage you in following Christ, because there is only one that we ultimately follow. You look back in chapter 3. This is Paul's concern in that very famous passage there in chapter 3, verse 4, when Paul says, for when one says, I follow Paul, or another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? And by mere men, he means you leave no puzzle for the world to solve. You seem like every other person around. There's nothing surprising or unusual or question-provoking about the way you're living. Verse 5, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. 
I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Pray for James, that he remembers that this is God's field. This is God's building. It will make his days and nights a lot easier if he realizes this is God's work. Uh, If Christ comes back during James's lifetime, then he will relieve him directly of the work. If not, there'll be some other way that James will pass this work on to another faithful shepherd to care for this congregation that we pray will outlive any of us and live until the Lord returns. We are to be united together in our local church as we are united with God. Really, when you think about it, as a church, you don't have any other reason for being. You know, when Paul looks at the divisions in the church, and then he turns and he asks, is Christ divided? I've always been struck by what a powerfully theological question that is. The assumption behind this is that the church is the body of Christ. And that idea Paul got on the Damascus Road, where Christ, the risen Christ appeared to him and said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? We have this responsibility then to reflect God. So our divisions in the church take on an added seriousness because they begin to lie about God. They begin to suggest that there are different gods, different ones to whom we should show loyalty when in fact our loyalty is to be to the Lord. Paul says over in chapter 12, verse 27, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. So we are united because God is one. And finally, we're to be loving because God is loving. Look back in chapter 2, at verse 9, he's quoting Isaiah And Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Brothers and sisters, at the center of our heart is to be a love for God. And that love for God is simply a response to the tremendous love that He's had for us. He's loved us extraordinarily in Christ. Friend, if you're here and you're visiting and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, Uh, This is what this church is about. Uh, The name of it, New Covenant, is referring specifically to something we're just about to have a symbol of in the Lord's Supper, the covenant that God has made with us through the death of Jesus Christ so that all who would trust in Him would have a sacrifice for their sins. You see, the Bible says that all of us have lived in a way that has not been holy and has not been loving. And because God is holy and loving, we will be responsible for our lives before Him, and He will hold us accountable. And the punishment that we have deserved by the way each one of us has lived has been taken on Christ for all who will turn from their sins and trust in Him. And He calls us now to turn and trust in Him. Friend, you could be forgiven for your sins and have new life today. If you want to know more about what that means in your life in particular, Uh, Talk to James. Uh, Talk to Jeremy, who's been leading the service. 
to talk to other friends that you know here. That's the good news about the love of God. We see in chapter 15, Paul says so clearly in verse 3, Christ died for our sins. You want to understand more of what that means. I pray the entire lifetime of New Covenant Baptist Church will be a long expansion on and meditation on the glories of what Paul means there in chapter 15, verse 3, Christ died for our sins. This is even baked into your name, New Covenant Baptist Church. What is that new covenant? Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Friends, this church is to be the display of God's love in the midst of messed up, sinful, selfish world. So you want to ask, is that what we're starting off to be? In this first year, has this been us? Do, have we been displaying the love of God? God has so loved us, so we must love Him. Pray for James, that God will grow His love for God and for you. Pray for each other, that your love will grow. Pray for yourself, that you will come to love God more and more, and as part of loving God, will come to love His people. So, what's the use of the church? Well, the answer is to manifest the character of God in the world. This is why we're here. We can't be the church unless we find this holiness, this unity, this love marking us. Because you see, a, a sub-Christian holiness which tolerates sin, or a sub-Christian unity which papers over differences and really just unites around a person, a sub-Christian love, which is really just sentiment, having a kind of family feeling because we've all been around together for so long. All of those things lie about God. God is actually much greater than any of those things. God has a holiness and a oneness and a love which means that that holiness will include discipline and that unity will only be around Christ and the diversity in the church can give testimony to the fact that what we have in common is Christ. And true love will go deeper than sentiment and beyond natural bounds. It will go out to the stranger for Christ's sake. That's what I pray that God will give James the wisdom to know how to teach from the Word and to model in his life. That's what I pray God will help you to display in this church. This is how the church at Corinth uh, or on Capitol Hill, or in Rockville, will prosper. So, how do we display God's glory? By living for Him a life of holiness and unity and love. This is what the church, this is what the church that I'm devoted to down in Washington, this is what this church that James is called to here, this is what this church that you are joining together to establish. This is what this church is devoted to. So your question is, is this what you're devoted to? Are you devoted to this kind of love, this kind of unity, this kind of holiness? Is that because of your devotion to God, the holy God, the one God, 
the God of love. I wonder why else you would go to church, why else you would get involved in the church, why else you would give your life to get a new church up and going. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have, in your kindness, designed the local church to display your own character in your world. We pray that you would bless this congregation, that you would cause your own moral character to be displayed again and again in the interactions and in the involvement and in the gifts and actions of this congregation. Bless these members and those who lead her, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.